Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Black Lives Matters movement has been an eye-opening time for many businesses. Improving diversity is actually something we've been working on for years at Sherlock's, with some success in places, but less in others. Listening to the feedback that Sherlock's has received, in light of the BLM movement, it's clear we need to do more and we need to work harder as a business to create content and to build a workforce that's inclusive of all women. We recently held two focus groups with a diverse group of women in which we talked terminology, heritage, race, the workplace, what they wanted from Sherlock's and lots more. We met brilliant women and it was hugely constructive and educational and it made me want to have a similar conversation about race and about diversity in the open air because I often feel like race is something we're just not that comfortable talking about that feels awkward to talk about for fear of saying the wrong thing. I know I usually do. But we learned so much and I felt like a lot of our readers would feel the same as we did if they'd been privy to the conversations we were having in those groups. So three of the lovely ladies who attended, Anna, Juliet and Emma, very kindly agreed to join me on the podcast and they're here with me remotely today. If the sound quality isn't tip top, then please forgive us, we're all in different places. But a very warm welcome, ladies. How lovely to have you. Can I start by asking you to introduce yourselves? Anna, let's start with you. So yeah, I'm Anna. I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant. I run my own DNI agency. Heritage-wise, I am Black British, but I'm of African descent. My parents, or I am originally from Angola, um, and I came here when my parents migrated to the UK in the early 90s. And you were how old when, when they migrated to the UK? Gosh, I was probably around four or five which is probably telling everyone my age, but yeah. You look good. <laughs> Juliet, what about you? So my name's Juliet. I'm a management consultant working in the financial services, helping clients navigate complex change. I identify as British Nigerian. I was born in Lagos and then came here when I was about two months and I've lived there ever since. So yeah, equal parts British and Nigerian. Emma. I'm Emma Taylor. I'm a fund paralegal. I work for a real estate investment management company near Bond Street. I specialize in compliance and governance, but I also have a strong love of beauty and skincare. My family are from Jamaica, so I was born here, so I'm British Caribbean, but my father was born in Jamaica. My mother was born here, but her mother was born in Jamaica. And on my mum's side, we're actually Jamaican Chinese, but I identify as British Caribbean. Can we talk about terminology? We talked about this quite a lot in the focus group. And I said, what do we call you? Do we call you a black woman? Do we call you... And I say we when, you know, I'm a white woman. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I started the focus group at the beginning saying, I'm probably going to say all the wrong things, but I'm here because I want to learn and I don't want to offend anybody. And actually, BAME is such a huge... You know, Asian is just such a huge category. I mean, how can you group somebody from China 
in the group with someone from India. Like to me, that's kind of nuts. So can you talk to us a little bit around like terminology? How do you want to be described as black women? How should I as a white woman describe you as a black woman? But you've all got such different heritages, don't you? So I think it's really educational for us to hear from you what your take is on that, what advice you'd give to people. I mean, I would start just by saying that I think the term BAME is pretty problematic for many people of colour just because for the very reason that you mentioned, it just groups us all. You know, you don't really take much from that in terms of cultural background, in terms of our heritage. Yes, it's Black, Asian, minority ethnic. It doesn't tell you much about who we are. You know, as the lady said, you can identify yourself as British Caribbean, British African. I'm from Angola. There's a Nigerian lady. There's a, you know, Jamaican lady. That doesn't tell a story when someone says, babe, call me a Black woman because... I'm a black woman. I know, Juliet, you mentioned that in the focus group. We are black women and, you know, we're proud black women. So there's no problem. And I understand that the, the, the term BAME is to categorize us, especially in the setting when it comes to work. But it really does alienate a lot of people because it makes you feel like the other. You know, once yeah. again, you're just the other group of people. That's kind of my stance on that, really. I would agree with Anna. I think I'm a proud black woman, so I'm happy to be called a black woman. I think BAME is a escape really. It's a, such a broad category that it allows you to kind of tick a box. You know, you can say we are diverse. We have BAME employees and perhaps actually the BAME employees are from an Indian background. So you've just managed to tick a box by grouping everyone together and you're not necessarily diverse. So I don't like the term BAME at all. I think it was just created just for people to feel comfortable that they were doing just enough when really actually they weren't doing anything at all. They were just grouping, as Anna said, the others all in one category yeah. and feeling like they were ticking a box. I'm a black woman. I'm generally probably the only black woman in a building. Most of my companies I've worked in, I've been one at the most two, but for the most part of my career, I've probably been the only black woman in an office. But again, I'm the BAME woman, essentially. You know, I'm ticking that diversity box, mm. which you know, hasn't been good enough. And now there's hopefully a shift in that mindset of recognizing that you can't just categorize whole groups of people in a large group. I echo both of what you've said and just add on that. I think it goes back to what you were saying about the taboo nature of talking about race. So I think some people feel like if they acknowledge and identify the fact that you're a black woman, it kind of disrupts their whole, I don't see race way of thinking. So the fact when they then identify and accept that you're a black woman, they don't have to deal with a lot of uncomfortable thoughts and, oh, does that mean I see race? Does that mean I'm a racist? No. So let me just pretend I don't see race. You're not a black woman. You're just a woman. But it's quite offensive to deny someone, you know, their heritage or their blackness because it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not a swear word. It's just it is what it is. How do you feel about women of colour as a label description? Silence. Not good. For me, again, it's that grouping and it's that other. What does women of colour tell you? Am I from an Asian background? Am I a black woman? Do I have just, you know, a bit of pigmentation in my skin? What does that actually tell you when you yeah. say a woman of colour? And as Emma said, it's like tick boxing. If, you know, you turn around and say you've got women of colour, but you are underrepresented, you know, the, say the black community, 
it almost sounds as though, yeah, we're diverse because we have a woman of color. There are so many different ways to kind of like label somebody when you say women of color. You know, it doesn't really tell you much. And I particularly don't really connect with that term, if I'm honest. I use it. I'm not going to lie because it's the easiest way to explain to someone that grouping um, yeah. you say a person of colour but it's not something I necessarily feel connected to where we got to I remember in the focus group was me saying to the 12 of you that were there what can we say like it, when we're recruiting you know we are a group of mainly white women what we know is we don't just want to be a group of white women for us it's really important now whether that's a black woman or a woman from Pakistan who's going to have a different color skin from a woman from Uganda. You know, I can't specify that much. All I know is that as an organization, I know that we're not giving off the right message if we're just white women. So is it okay to say we want to employ diverse women? Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, saying women of different backgrounds, we want to make sure we're hitting every demographic and we want our employees to reflect the fact that we are for everyone. It doesn't need yeah. to be Spain, just, yeah, so we want women from different backgrounds and that's it really. And we talked as well, didn't we, about ethnicity versus heritage and the wording around that and what businesses should use and what white people should use and we agreed, didn't we, on heritage. We liked the feel of that word. I remember you all were like, yeah, that feels like a heritage that I'm proud of. Do you all still feel the same? I mean, for me, when I use the word an ethnic person, I get why it sounds offensive, but I think it gives you a clearer picture than when you say Bane, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it illustrates something to me and connects a bit better. I think heritage is fine, but again, that doesn't tell you Everyone has a heritage. You know, George, you have a heritage. I have a heritage that doesn't actually tell you that it's someone from the black community, the Asian community. And we've got to remember those communities are the marginalized community. Those are the communities that are underrepresented. So when we talk about those communities, we need to illustrate them and be as intentional as we need to be so people get that message. That's kind of my stance on that. I agree. I'd say um, there's something about heritage, like you said, Georgie, heritage is, oh, I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of where I come from. And I think it's twofold. The fact that Georgie has heritage and so do we, there's something that we can connect on. Um, A distant past or an ancient history. Oh, my family came from this part of England. Oh, mine came from this part of Nigeria. Like it's something that we can connect on. And I think ethnicity and the word ethnic and fame it's been so politicized and it's just people when they hear the word they project things onto it or assume a conversation is going to go a certain way but if you talk Mm. about heritage i guess because it hasn't been blackened by um, ironic terminology but i guess because it hasn't been dirtied or politicized to fulfill some sort of agenda heritage just feels a bit more comfortable i don't know that might just be me but i'm okay with heritage and i'm okay talking about heritage yeah i would probably just add i think the only thing is with heritage it's that trying to make things comfortable. I Mm. think when I say kind of being intentional, it's not to be offensive, but you want to be as clear as possible. And I know that ethnicity, I agree, it's been dirty. You're absolutely right. It does. Even for me, sometimes it's like ethnicity or I think it's more ethnic. You automatically think, oh, ethnic. It does have that kind of ring to it. But then when you say heritage, it does have that proud. But then mm. does that sound, when you say heritage, do you immediately identify as, oh, that's the black or the white? It does bring us together. But I think when we're talking about making a change, I just think it's about being intentional and it's being really, really clear. Yeah. But it's also about wanting to know, you know, I think we touched before on 
you can be a black British woman, obviously, but you're black skin and somewhere along the line, someone in your family has come to the UK and you are British, but I want to know where you're from and not because I'm like, you're not really British, but I just want to understand a bit more about the person. So I guess it's trying to take the conversation down that route. Yeah, that's different than yeah. I suppose. It's like, instead of saying to someone, where are you from? Where are your family from? You're saying... Like, where are you from? You know, some people say, yeah, oh, I'm British, so yeah. black woman. And they go, oh, no, but where are you from? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> so, yeah. So in that context, I think it's so much better to say, what is your heritage? What is your exactly ethnicity? Exactly. Yes, you're getting yeah. to know. Yeah, so for the... Because God, that would piss me off if I was a black person. <laughs> oh, no, no, but where are you from? You're not really yeah. British, are you? Where are your parents from? But, okay, where are yeah, your parents? That's, yeah, and that's typically what people will say. You'll say you're British, and they'll be like, yeah, but where are you actually from? Yeah. And it's when you're using those words in that context where it's kind of like, for me, I would prefer what's your heritage or what's your ethnicity for sure. But I do agree. The word ethnic is so tricky now to use, to put out because of the way that it's been put out up mm. until this moment. Like even in supermarkets, you know, it's meant to be called world foods, but it's ethnic food aisle. And you're kind of like, well, yeah. why do we have to have a separate aisle? Why isn't that just mixed throughout? You know, mm. I think that's the problem is the way that ethnic has been felt is that we are put off to the side that's not such a good example emma with that in mind let's talk about your careers a bit when we met i was pretty horrified you'll remember i'm sure i won't say her name just because of the story but i mean this is the woman who was told that the law profession did not need black women and there were a lot of stories coming out weren't there and everyone was sort of sharing the challenges that they'd gone through can you talk to us a bit all of you about your own challenges that you face in your career and, you know, box ticking, unconscious bias, you know, getting your foot in the door even. How has it been for you? Has it felt like you've had to fight a lot harder? I definitely feel like I've had to fight a lot harder. I can give you just an, a quick example that literally has stuck with me for a few years now. I went for a job and it was in marketing. And when I went for the, the role, I was like really excited, went through the whole interview process, first, second, third. I think there was also an initial phone call. I had to do a presentation. It was kind of at the stage when I was still quite mid-level management. And I got the job. There was a lot of back and forth and conversations. And I waited for, for a few weeks to get a reply. And then when I started the job, I quickly found out that there was, you know, a number of us that were being kind of hired for that same position, but in different business divisions. And I was speaking to one of the girls and she said to me, oh, you know, how was your interview process? And I said, oh, I went through like four or five stages. She's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, I only went through one. And I was like, really? So this is, you know, a white girl. And I said, okay, what position did you go for? And it actually ended up being, I think, the position that I originally went for. But exactly, you know, same title. I later found out that she ended up, you know, getting paid more than me. Oof. One interview. And then when I start the job, what ends up happening, I end up training every single person that was hired at the same time as me. I literally had to create a document to train everyone in terms of digital marketing, the processes, how to create a campaign. And that very girl that had one interview that was getting paid more than me was one of the girls that I was training. I ended up basically managing that whole team. But every day when I was, you know, talking to this girl, at no fault of her own, but based on her privilege, she went through one stage, got paid more than me and was being trained by that person that was getting paid less than her. And that's kind of some of the struggles that I've been facing when you're climbing up that 
that ladder, you find things out. I was privy to that information because I had that conversation with her. When you say you have privilege, Anna, you talk about the fact that she's white. Yeah, you know, the white privilege, it goes back to the fact that, like, it's not about social status, it's not about money, it's literally because, you know, the privilege that your white skin kind of affords you. And even down to the fact that I was being paid less. But for me, what really stuck is the fact that I ended up having to train that team so automatically yeah. I knew that I was more qualified. So you, I know, have just brilliantly launched. I know mean, it was good timing, wasn't it? You were working on it already before <laughs> yeah. the BLM movement came along. But you've just launched an inclusivity and diversity consultancy business with a colleague. Thrilled to interview you on the site the other day. And I think it's brilliant what you're doing. So many companies need help and involvement and you need to learn about the stuff that we're talking about today. And they're just, you know, the only way to do it is by having someone there to show them the way. That's what you're doing now. Just talk us through. So you were in marketing and we've yeah. obviously talked about that, you know, getting your foot through the door and that process. As you progressed, how did you find it as a black woman in the UK working in that business? From um, then on, did, did it become about merit or was your skin colour always a factor or holding you back? I definitely think, and, you know, I, I, I can only speak for myself, but I don't, I'm not sure if the ladies would agree. For black people, it's merit that's looked at, but our merit has to be extraordinary. You know, it has to be, <laughs> we have to blow it out the park to even get a look at. I think there was a, a recent study or something that she said that, you know, people of colour, so to speak, have to send 80% more applications or something to even get someone looking at their resume. But it didn't get easier. Yeah, I was at a senior leadership um, position, but what ended up happening, I felt more alienated. You know, mm. I almost felt that feeling you should be really happy to be here. And then it was the, I was the only woman or black woman in that room. So a lot of the times my voice would be silenced. A lot of the times when I did have an opinion and I was like, you know, I'm going to be assertive and really make sure that people listen to me. I was labeled as aggressive. I was labeled as, oh, you're just a bit too negative, you know, um, and that's a bit too sassy. Exactly. Those are the words. And it sounds like a cliche because almost it's the lived experience of most black people, but that really is our experience. So, yeah, you think you're climbing up the ranks and it's going to get easier. No, you'll probably get paid a little bit more, but, yeah, yeah. you're... <laughs> and that pay comes way after it's due as exactly. well. Emma, talk to us about your career. What's your story? So I graduated with a law degree. I wasn't too sure that I wanted to become a solicitor. I just didn't think it was in me. I'm more, I suppose, practical, logical than I suppose I felt academic. So I just went straight into work. I started off my career, I suppose, as an admin assistant in a real estate agent. And then I moved into investment management. And then I've been in investment management for the past 10 years. And I guess for me, as Anna said, you do get rewarded on your merit, but your merit has to be through the roof. So for me, my work ethic is for me beyond. I give over on what is asked of me. And I have always done. That was a way that we were raised. I was raised with my cousins and we were told that we were young black girls and it would be harder for us. So we had to work twice as hard. So for me, when it came to work, I was always excelling. It was always something I prided myself on. And it was always the area in life where I gave even more to because I knew that I had to keep a certain level and to be seen and to be afforded opportunities. I'm now in a company which I think is probably the best out of all the companies I've been in. We're now starting to look at diversity and inclusivity. It was something that I flagged and I've raised and we're starting on that movement at 
at our company. It's a smaller company as well. So again, I'm one of two black women in the London office. Out of how many women? So there's probably about 20 in the office, men and women. My previous company, there were probably about 300 at the most in the London office. And at that time, through the eight years I was there, I was either one of one or one of two. And of 300 women? Just 300 in general. I'm not sure how many okay. the women count was. I think the women was probably less than the men. I guess if you split it down still, the half, it was, if it was half it. and half, it was still, there was two black women in that building over an eight year period at max. So you know that you're going to be known. People will identify who you are. So that's carried with you with whatever you do. Even if people might not say it out loud, that's your identifier. You know, that's the black woman who is in legal. You know, you can quite clearly see that. But for me, my career has just been a constant working hard. How do I outdo myself every year to ensure that I'm considered in the top um, percentage in my department? So I know for me, it's never gotten easier because you feel like you can't slip. You can't take an off day, have a bad moment. You have to keep maintaining that level to ensure that people know how good you are. It's incredibly hard work, but it's also something that's been ingrained through our parents and recognizing how life is just different for us because of the color of our skin. doesn't matter about our skill set. We will initially be judged. And even if people don't want to speak about it, they will judge you on your race. And so it's just a constant need to be the best version of you. Your merit does get rewarded at a certain point. As I mentioned before, it perhaps comes a little bit too late or it comes later than it should have come but it's constant there's never that moment in time really where you think I've done it I can like take a take a break I can slow down it's like I've done it take a maybe a five minute break and now we up the ante again and we keep going and do you think that that is not something that could be said of just ambitious women in general Probably, yeah. I think there's probably an element there is, but I think there's going to be some added element if you're a black woman. It's going to be added if you're a black entrepreneur trying to get funding, trying to get in front of the right people. It's going to be added. Whatever a non-black woman is facing in terms of their career, add on more pressure for a black woman. And that, unfortunately, is the standard. And Julia, what about you? Tell us about your career. I'm relatively new-ish to the working world. So my perspective and my experience is a little bit different. I'd like to think of my generation as a bit rebellious and we tend to not really care. Let's put it that way. So in terms of education and school-wise, I was always one of a few in top set, always. And teachers always underestimated me. And I don't feel like I had the support of my peers. So I went to a regular state school. And there was a group of a couple of kids, some Asian, some white, non-black, who they were like, yep, Oxbridge candidates. And they just focus all the effort there. And the rest of you, if you like, come to lesson, if you want to, you know, turn up. So I never really had that support there. But my mum always, like the ladies have said, my mum always instilled in me that you're going to have to work twice as hard to get in the door. And that's just it. You can cry, you can scream, you can say it's not fair, but it's not going to change anything. Give you an example of that. I got a first class degree level and I have a master's degree, so I'm in no team. I had to do all of that just to be considered for the graduate scheme that I got onto. A lot of the people that I was accepted on the graduate scheme, a couple of two twos, mostly two ones, like fairly average. You're saying what Emma said, you, you had to go yeah, over to, and above. There's above. doing well and then there's having to do I had just to like... Be literally extreme so a lot of them they did a gap year they got a 2-1 and they didn't have to do anything extraordinary to be considered whereas I had to the fact that I came from a state school I already had a chip on my shoulder that I have to make up for it 
then my degree I had to get a first. I also did an internship at Hedgefund all before I even applied for the graduate scheme and did a master's just to get my foot in the door. Yeah. So it's not necessarily... So you got to really you know, fucking stand yeah, out, basically. Yeah, I really had to like pull my boots up and work hard and focus and just always have that chip on your shoulder. And psychologically, it's very stressful to just know yeah. that, you know, I have to put in 10 times effort and then I'm working with someone who I'm clearly, you know, I've done yeah. the bounds of that. And then we're put in the same box. Anyway, career-wise, I started off in insurance. And that is the most English male industry, I think, that exists. Uh, you're laughing, but I'm sure you can agree. So I was like <laughs> in the hub of insurance. Really, really fancy. And I went in there. My hair was a lot longer than this. Were you at hair. Lloyd's? Were you going into Lloyd's? I'll be tight-lipped. Okay. <laughs> But um, yeah, I worked there. One of the I've never been in there. I loved. I'm fascinated to go. I want to go on a trading floor. And I want to go into Lloyd's. I don't know why. I just want to know what they're like. I was there just... all the time. Yeah, I worked. I worked there. My last project was um, there. First, I kind of felt a bit. I don't really fit in. I don't really match. Um, they're probably judging me. They don't know how to talk to me. But after they got to know me, and this is the main challenge I'd say with being a black woman in the workplace is you always underestimated. So couple that with the fact that I'm then young sort of kind of a little bit fresh out of university and then I'm black and then at the time I had really massive curly blonde hair they were just like who's this joker so I had to really navigate and I only spoke and when I spoke I had to make sure what I was saying was completely factual um yeah. it's to the point it's concise yeah I'm not you're on your a game you can't just answer every question you kind of have to pick and choose your battles and when you're gonna mm. like and especially being young and junior as well when you're gonna challenge someone and say actually what you're saying doesn't actually make any sense you have to be like oh have you thought about and then yeah. you have to kind of pose it behind someone else in the room and say, oh, this leader. And if you don't have that executive sponsor, that person in senior leadership that's going to back you, don't bother. Because they're going to go around and talk behind your back and say, she's, she's, she's quiet down. She's a bit spicy, that one. So you need to have someone mm-hmm. in the room. And no one tells you this when you start working. You need to have someone in the room that will be there to defend you or back you up. Or if someone's challenging you or challenging your challenge, the, for me, luckily, best program director ever, he was like, no, do you get sorry, actually? What have you been doing about that? And then, oh. That's good. That then, is good advice, actually, though, for anybody. Like, yeah. find that mentor within your company, of like, regardless. Yeah. Who's going to champion you and put their head on the line for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, so that was my experience in insurance. I've now moved on um, to investment management. And it's a lot more diverse. I'm not going to lie to you. I walked here and I was like, oh. This is great. It wasn't a thing. Like race or ethnicity wasn't a thing. I didn't think I was the only black, um, which is really weird to say, but I just felt comfortable. It wasn't an issue. And I felt like the team that I'm working with now, I come back with my crazy story. So when I came back from Lagos, um, I was able to feel comfortable sharing my holiday and showing them snaps of that trip and showing them parts of Nigeria. that Everyone has their, you know, stereotypes about what it's like. I felt comfortable enough to share my heritage and that background with them because the environment was one where race wasn't a thing, they acknowledged it and they see it and they talk about it. This firm is really but good. It's like great. And look, there's so much to do, but I think it's just, it's worth taking a moment. And we talked about this at the focus groups as well. Yeah. 20 years ago, the world was such a different place. And I do look back and think, God, it was just such a different world then. I think we've also got to be proud of how far we've come. There's an amazing positivity coming out of this movement. I mean, you went from the most fuddy-duddy industry ever. I mean, yeah, I'm with you <laughs> sure. on insurance. It's like this, it's the only industry that still goes out for like long, boozy lunches, isn't it? It kind of blows You're my mind. You're going at 9am, at maybe half 10, everyone's at their desk. By 12, out for lunch. You come back, maybe three, they're back at their desk. Four, they're out again. 
Mm. It's just the nature of how the industry works. So how great that then you went to a company where you did feel you could be yourself and that you didn't stand out. And there's a lot of businesses having a hard time, rightly so. But there are also been some great, great, great advances in this country, I think. Would you all agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Just to add, from the perspective of what we're saying to you, that obviously it's not going to be across the board, but if the majority of us would have similarities. But then when I speak to, say, for example, my husband, who also works in investment management, his experience sometimes when I'm speaking to him, he's like, he actually says, really? Of course, he's heard it, but yeah. because he doesn't face the same challenges. And he'll say, but you're at that level. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm still going through through this. And even for him, actually, his workplace is pretty diverse. They've got loads of these kind of, you know, graduate schemes going on and stuff like that. And he's a part of the kind of diversity committee and all that good stuff. And he also says to me, you know, he's been embraced in his workplace and he's actually not faced that many challenges climbing up. And that's because the approach for a black man, once they get to that level, is a little bit different to a black woman. You know, a black woman still has to continuously prove herself beyond you know, the stratosphere. <laughs> and because we have to face sexism, you know, you get that whole thing where he's a guy and it's like, oh yeah, mate. One of the lads. <laughs> yeah, one they can of connect the on lads. football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, they can connect on different levels, yeah. but there's yeah. so many things that we face. Once we get there, we still have to face microaggression in the workplace. Do you know what one is that um, people often overlook or forget? So I'll, I'll ask the question and I'm sure you can agree. Having certain hairstyles during the interview process and oh just my gosh. Oh <laughs> my gosh. So I would Awful. never ever in my life interview with my hair like this. Ever. No. You'd never get the job. You'd no, look messy, no, scruffy, no. unprofessional. Yeah, Your hair needs to be slick, smooth, no flyaway. The amount of time you take preparing for an interview to make sure that nothing is out of place to turn up. That's yep. like a whole, yeah, whole different I, level. I, I, I wouldn't interview in braids. I've had processes where yeah. I've gotten the interview and I've got braids and I'm like, oh no. And I'm literally <laughs> there, like, taking, out, taking out, yeah. Because need to make sure you're booked in with a hairdresser. Yeah. Hairdresser. And I think since then, you know, I probably haven't interviewed with my hair in braids just because I just can't be bothered dealing with the questions, the comments, ask, the looks. When did you realize that that was a thing? So for me, I was 16 going for my first retail job and I kind of noticed certain things that you want to do or you don't, which is quite sad as a 16 year old. Like, all I wanted to do was work in River Island, but you know, I just had to be conscious that that doesn't go with the look or if let's say you're interviewing at a Hollister and at the time that was the biggest thing. If you worked at Hollister, you were the coolest. You can't go to Hollister with hair like this. So that's when I realised it. Um, when did you guys first realise that your hair and how you dress might, you know, impact you, the outcome of the interview? I think for me, it's always been a known. It's always been a given. I think I've always heard stories about how black women have perhaps interviewed with their hair normal and then they've gone one day with their hair natural as is because of whatever reason they weren't able to perhaps get to the hairdressers and the comment they would have received or being pulled aside saying you know I think my hairdresser once told me a girl was pulled aside wore her hair curly one day and her manager pulled her aside and said you didn't interview with your hair like that what's going on what's happening this isn't acceptable like you need to fix it like so those stories I think for me were always littered through my upbringing so I always Mm -hmm. knew that my hair was going to be a huge element of what 
I was bringing to the table, even though it has nothing to do with my capabilities. And so it was just like you never wanted to give anyone reason to speak about or judge you on, you know, judge you on your education, that piece of paper, that CV that you've worked hard for, nothing else you give them, you know. And I think growing up, I realized that how sad that was, you know, we can't really be our true beauty because yeah. it's going to hold us back. And actually really how rude that is, like, and how, you know, yeah. that's calling that we can't be who we are as women because other people are going to be ignorant and rude towards us it's as I've gotten older it makes me really sad but that's just also default in your upbringing you have to your hair has to be sleek and not do you you think there's also an educational piece of that I don't think I knew until pretty recently I commented on I think it was the first focus group which was just you Juliet I think I, you're laughing because I commented on someone's hair and I was like, oh my God, you've got amazing hair. And someone said, it's a wig. I was like, that's a wig. But no beauty secrets that black women have that we just, it's a given. And I think that's what so makes the fact that that's different. your natural hair, Juliet, when I met you before, you had your hair slicked back. Slicked back. So it was conscious. It was deliberate. I know the, if I'm being honest, I know the audience. They don't have hair like me. They don't want to see that. But I never knew. I didn't grow up knowing that natural hair for a black woman was not straight well yeah it was just yeah. that, that oh, also hard to manage and that time time intensive and like so you can see uh, why it's a bit irritating so, when like i don't know let's say i don't give names but cultural appropriation and when certain women wear braids and it's cool and it's edgy but i have to it's trendy yeah, and I have to deliberately avoid those hairstyles, so I'm not stereotyped. But now it's like, ooh, box of braids. Oh, we're going to do that. That's exactly. cool. And that's different. It's just annoying. And mm. you know what? There are studies showing that women of colour, black women, wearing their hairs afro or particular hairstyles are less likely to be you know, considered for specific jobs or even taken to the next stage than their white counterparts. There's studies showing that. And that's the unfortunate thing about it because, you know, we can make light of it because it's like, oh yeah, you know, what happens in our workplace? But it's stopping someone from progressing in their career. They've worked really hard, you know, like Juliet, you've gone to university, you've got your first, you've done your master's, you know, you're working so hard. And then because of your hairstyle, not because of everything that you've accomplished, a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I can just add in there. I don't know if anyone sure. watches ITV News, but there's an ITV News presenter. Her name is Charlene White, and she was wearing wigs for the longest time. And I'm not sure what happened, but she stopped and she wears her natural hair. And it's so beautiful to watch the news and see a black woman with her natural hair. Like she's stunning anyway, but also with her hair, she's stunning. And it's kind of like 
you're, you were taking away that person's right to be who they were by bringing their hair into any kind of conversation you know and then that's why growing up you then get a warped image of who you should be and what you should look like and what you're achieving and to a certain degree you know sometimes black women are forced to look a more European way instead of owning their curls earning that the kinks in their hair and I think it's for me Charlene White is a nice representation of how things should have been from the beginning is being able to turn on the tv see a black woman and see her natural in all of her beauty. Can we talk a little bit about companies and employers or managers or people who are listening to what you're talking about and they're like god I need to do more it went badly wrong for me on social media when I said we are actively trying to build a more diverse workforce we've been trying to do it for years and someone actually said to me the other day do you think that maybe when you have a CV, you could cover up the name at the top of the CV so that your unconscious bias doesn't get in the way and that you don't just call the white woman into you. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm looking at the name because I don't want the white Kate Smith in the door. I want the black woman in the door because I know this is something that we need to work on. And it's been really frustrating for us as a business. We've talked about this. But for people who are sitting there going, you know, I want to do this. I see the importance. How do I make it happen? What advice do you have for companies, for people that are in hiring roles that see the value of having a more diverse workforce by employing more black women. What advice do you have to them? How do they get started? How do they make the change happen? I'd say this question is like particularly relevant just considering what's going on now with all the A-level stuff. So as we know, people from certain areas, disadvantaged areas, they're going to be knocked down a grade. But if you're a hiring manager in the next 10 years, in the back of your mind, you should be accommodating that, you know, this person from this demographic with this background might not have had as much you know, advantages or they might have been knocked down a grade and just accommodate for that when you're hiring. So yes, you want to have certain qualifications, but just look out for other things and other non-tangible, non-academic things that might give the other person a boost, like positive discrimination. I know some people aren't a fan, but it's the best we can do and how we make a bad situation better. It's not mm. a one fits all. It's not going to solve all the problems. And there are lots of issues with positive discrimination. But whether or not we're positively discriminating, negative discrimination is going to exist. And we're not doing anything to counter that. The one thing you can do is if you see a lady called Tossin and she's qualified and she can do the job, give Tossin the job. Yes, she's a black woman. Yes, it helps. But um, just give her the job. Well, don't give her the job. Get her in the room. Check she's, check she's freaking good. Then give her the job. But yeah, get those people in the door. You've got to get them in. But you know, you, you've got to hire the right people for businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a business at the end of the day. But you're basically saying embrace a bit of positive discrimination. And actually, that's what we've done. And I get it. And the game is fixed. It goes back to that monopoly analogy. And I, and I was like, if that's what I have to do, and I recognize that I've had different opportunities, then that's what I've got to do. That's what we've got to do. Do you know what? I kind of see what everybody's saying, but I also think I agree with you, Georgie. I think the hiring process should always start with merit. Like first and foremost, you should it should start with merit. If you're looking at your hiring processes, you need to acknowledge, you know, some of the issues that hiring managers face. And bias really is an issue. It's a real thing. And you need to check your bias. You need to have people be trained in that. There's affinity bias. People tend to hire people that, you know, they feel look or resemble them, for example. 
that makes them comfortable. And that's why things like, you know, I don't know, referral programs aren't necessarily the greatest thing because that person might end up referring someone again that looks like them. But going back, it has to be on merit. You can't hire somebody. That's why I'm quite on the fence in terms of the positive discrimination, because one of the things we don't want to have them to happen is you hire a, a black woman. She comes into the situation where she's the only black woman. You know, the rest of the team starts looking at her. Well, you were only hired because yeah, you're black. Mother, she, that yeah. alienates that person even yeah. more. I think what I've learned is you've got to look harder because the population in the UK of black women is smaller than the population of white women. Therefore, if you get 100 CVs, a certain number of them are going to be black, aren't they? And we just put a job role out for a really exciting new role. We had 250 applications. My head of operations in HR whittled it down to 43. Then she whittled it down to 10. There's one we're taking to interview, one out of two. So that's how like stringent our recruitment process is. That's how much at Sheerlarts we want talent, like an amazing eye and writing. But you need talent. And so you've got to focus on the two, which is, is what you're saying. But I think it's really good to be open with people. I felt with this woman, I was like, I can't have her walk in here on the first day and her feel she's just in this business to tick a box for us. Exactly. She she needs to know she's here because she's fucking good. And she's, I'm really excited because she's awesome. But they've got to go hand in hand, haven't they? I think it's great that you were open and honest. I think if I worked in a workplace where I can speak to my boss and have those kind of candid conversations, and for you to acknowledge and address it instead of sweeping it under the rug and making it, because mm. you make it a thing when you sweep it under the rug. You make it a thing when you're like, you don't want to address the elephant in the room. And I think yeah. going to your focus group, of course, we all love Sherlock's, but just seeing how open you guys or receptive you guys were to listening to some of the issues and being able to say, I don't know. And I'm, I might get it wrong. I don't know the terminologies. It's not necessarily for every black person to teach you because not every black person knows everything about black history. Not every black person know is an activist. You can use Google, however, it's okay for you to say to people that you feel safe and comfortable with in those spaces. Look, what would you prefer? Or just be as candid as you were with your new, you know, recruit kind of thing. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I think it's a good thing. So what we said now is put Tossin to the top of the pile, get her in. Bit of positive discrimination, bearing in mind the game is fixed. It's not a level playing field. It's okay. But you want, everyone wants good people in their businesses. But we've all got to go the extra mile, right, to give black women the opportunity. What other advice can you give to people hiring? I would say you have to look at your environment. You know, if you want to be diverse, how is your office? How is that environment? Is it diverse? Mm-hmm. If you're going to be inviting people in who are different, are they going to feel comfortable? Is it? Are they going to feel that it's the environment for them? I'm now in a company which I think actually does really embrace that. It really thinks about its people. You know, when the video of George Floyd came out, I was able to speak to my boss. I was able to tell her that, you know, I'd had a tough weekend. My heart was heavy and she was there and she listened and she asked me what she could do. And I was able to continue that dialogue with her and say, you know, I think the company should be doing more. And she was also then having feeding back on these conversations to the senior people in the company. And they were all like, well, we thought we were doing enough, but clearly we need to be doing more if we've got one employee thinking that we're not doing enough. And that has now started the diversity and inclusivity project at our company. You're at the environment that you create as a business is incredibly important because that's your foundation, that's your culture. So it's all well and good to want to be diverse and hope that your workforce will be representative of that 
diversity and inclusivity, but you need to ensure you create that environment for it to flourish. If you're just straight away hiring people for it to look that way, you're not really doing anything. You need to ensure that your foundation is there. I think companies should do a survey, you know, as our company now, we're starting to speak with a few people and find out how they think of our company. Are we diverse? Are we inclusive? Are we equal opportunity? That just should be your starting point for every company that thinks they're not doing enough is ask your employees. Your employees are your company. Yeah. Find out how they're feeling. As you say, you want people in your business who have the talent who are right for the job. That will take time. But yeah. building a foundation and an environment where people feel that it is diverse and inclusive, that work can start now and you can build that culture and start embedding it from now. And then when it comes to people, I think a lot of companies need to review their recruitment processes, review their uh -huh. source of people. You know, who are you aligning with that recruitment company? Everyone likes to add we're an equal opportunity company or equal opportunity hire. But then behind the scenes, where are they sourcing these candidates from? Is it across every background? Is it across a mix of universities? Or are you only taking the top five universities, which are predominantly attended by white people? You know, as you say, you have to work harder. You have to pull down everything and start from scratch because things don't change. If you don't change, if you don't recognize that the process you've been doing isn't getting you anywhere, it's because the process is broken. Start again, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. creating an environment and where you're sourcing these individuals from are the two things that you need to change. There's lots of BAME networks, even though I'm not a fan of them, but there are lots of societies and universities, the Afro-Caribbean society where, you know, people are coming together. They're from different areas of the university, but that's a pocket of individuals which you'll be able to source for roles versus is going to a recruiter who's perhaps just going maybe to Cambridge or to Oxford or to whatever universities correlate to the field that work is in. And you're again, you're knocking out the ethnic minorities, the blacks, the Indians, because they're not at those universities. So uh -huh. for me, it's twofold. It's ensuring that you've created a diverse and inclusive environment or are creating one at work. And then also making sure that where you're recruiting and sourcing candidates are diverse. You know, it's not that old fuddy-duddy way of only taking the top 10 universities or top 10 anything that kind of excludes anyone that's non-black because then you're not changing anything you're saying you're changing but you're not actually doing anything exactly. I think there's as well there's you know we've had people say to us things like well you know half your senior team need to be women of color and I'm like whoa 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 like change needs to happen I really accept that but it's taking time. Like, how do you feel about apprentices? And we're in talks with a university about, you know, going in, meeting women who are interested in our industry, bringing them in as an apprentice. And, and I'm really excited about that because I'm aware that, yes, there's been amazing change in this country. But there's, you know, at a senior level, there are in our industry, which is still a fairly new industry, there aren't always... You know, junior people to promote up yeah exactly and you know I, i'm not going to go and fire my senior team because no. i want to put black women up there and said no, they've, they've all worked their way up to the top but i i think for businesses it's yes it needs to be carried through the business to the top but for a lot of businesses they can't make that happen overnight like we can't you know we're a small business so we are also now looking at apprentices and bringing in a couple of apprentices how do you feel about that? And, and do you have any advice on that for businesses? Julia, it's funny you mentioned this. I um, had a conversation with um, one of my executive sponsors at work about the same topic yesterday because we were talking about our company and how they have these very ambitious goals um, to do X, Y, and Z by this year. And um, he shared a saying with me. I think it's a Japanese saying. I'm not sure. 
And there's a saying that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time to plant Uh a tree is now. So (laughs) if we say we want to have a senior leadership team full of XYZ people by this date, you need to start looking at the future talent. What are you doing now for those at A-levels? What are you doing now for those in university? And training them up so that in 20 years' time, we're not having the same conversation. Obviously, now we're going to have to go through and fix and try and source these women from different backgrounds who are capable of doing these positions but yeah. the damage was done 20 years ago when they were yeah. denied opportunities to get experience to get to that level so and now decades and decades and centuries yeah, ago yeah. yeah yeah so the damage was done then so what's now scrambling like where can i find the nearest black woman who can do this it's good but it's a bit futile you need to start like you're doing the right thing going from apprentices and looking at people in university and other things other than university because there's another topic here that is kind of aligned with the Black Lives Matter movement and it's social mobility. If we solve a lot of social mobility issues, just by virtue of collateral damage, we also solve a lot of discrimination issues because as well as being black, you're also, if you come from a certain area and you don't go to university, you shouldn't then not be able to have a successful career. We're going through interesting period. And yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy to hear that you're looking at other alternatives, starting young and pushing to have people to promote. I was talking to a youth group the other day and she was saying that I said, what's the male-female split and what kind of age do they drop off? She said there's a big drop-off at about 15 and she said yep. it's a kind of fork in the road. And I was saying to my husband, he was saying, you know, what can I do? And I was like, you should be mentoring someone. And he's like, what can I do in my role? You know, he works in finance. And I was like, if every guy like you mentored two less advantaged young teenagers or whatever now and use your network you know before they get 15 and and it's too late because they don't see the opportunity because they haven't had it like it's like 11 it's 12 you know these kind of schemes i think need to happen really really early just doing a day shadowing someone um helps just so they can put that on their cv it doesn't disturb your working day as well. If anything, it's great to have company and to have someone young look at you and think, wow, what you do is so cool. Having someone follow you for four days, they can put that on their CV. That's then how you build. That's then how I got to where I am. I started off with this experience here. I then did four days here. I then did an internship. I then did a graduate scheme. And now I can say I work in insurance and I work in finance. Yeah. But it's because people along the way helped me up. Like they sent the ladder back down. Okay, cool. Now it's your turn. And I'm yeah. doing the same. So if I see someone else, Oh, I really want to work in finance or insurance. Sure, come shadow me. Um, well, you can't shadow me at home, but come see what I do. This is what I yeah. do. Do you have any questions or what kind of industry are you interested in? It's just I think it's, just, I think it's, it's such an easy. Yeah. yeah, I really believe that too. I'm so glad you agree. I think you're right. The least you can do is open the door and give someone an opportunity. That's all everyone wants in life is the opportunity to have the best for themselves. But a lot of the time, those doors are not open. I think apprenticeships, internships allow them a step through and into a new reality, a new opportunity. It doesn't cost businesses anything. I think there's even a benefit to do it if you offer apprenticeships, but it's kind of... It's yeah, I mean, good old Rishi, he's, he's come up with a <laughs> corker of a scheme, hasn't he? <laughs> but it's those things, it's just thinking, what can I do for someone else? As you say, in a less advantaged situation, yeah. will set them on a new course, a new path, so that they can have a richer or a better life. Yeah. It really is just opening the door to others who aren't yeah. as fortunate as you. Yeah, I would also echo that. I think, Georgie, you mentioned about, you know, doing things, but you don't want to do it. Just go and fire your whole senior leadership team. (laughs) It needs to be authentic. It needs to be real. 100%. Um, And you need to do the groundwork. If you really want to be an ally and an ally in action, you want to be somebody that understands the, the needs and the cause, everything behind the scenes first before you just start doing the things. 
because it comes across performative and nobody wants that. You yeah. know, everyone can see through that performance that you're put, you're putting on. So it takes time and it, you know, rightly. Um, so start with the apprenticeship, start with the mentorship schemes, build those people up to senior leadership teams. When opportunities do come up, be privy, be aware of the fact that you have an opportunity at that point to hire, you know, a person of color, um, you know, for lack of a better word, like you want those opportunities to come around so that you can take those steps. And I think it's good that you're being honest and saying, look, I'm not going to go and fire. Because if you imagine if we heard there was an announcement, Georgie fired her whole senior leadership team and hired a bunch of black women or people of color, we would all be a bit like, really? We love the content that you guys are producing. So we know that your team does a good job we know we just want to be included in that and that's just yeah. it and we can already see those changes being made mm-hmm. subtly but we can definitely 100%. see yeah. those changes yeah. being made so yeah well thank you your support means a lot i cannot tell you but are there other businesses you know of or you lack at that you think are doing it well that other people can look to to learn from ben and jerry's I, they're awesome yeah. they never miss <laughs> just they always get the tone right and i think the key is like you were saying anna being genuine like it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel performative so recently they reacted to Pretty patel's response to the refugee crisis and the tone everything was spot on when the black lives matter thing um initially the george Floyd killing initially happened again tone was spot on it wasn't forced they just seemed to get it right and i've even seen an interview with ben and jerry and again, they're just being themselves. And if you see injustice, just to call it out. So I'd say definitely Ben and Jerry's. There's another one as well, Diageo. They've been really leading in that space um, for actually a few years in terms of gender equality, you know, gender pay gap. I think recently they've set up kind of a committee, you know, within their um, workforce. They've kind of been putting... I think if there's a business to really look at, because they've been doing it subtly, a lot of people don't know about them or what they're doing, but they've been doing it for years. And that's, to me, it's never been performative. They've been doing it before everything yeah. went mainstream. Um, and I was also going to say Ben and Jerry's and Nike, because uh-huh. again, they've always been supporting, even when they come under fire, you know, Nike, still, people will be yeah. protesting, throwing out their Nike, not what, you know, burning their Nike. They didn't care. Yeah. They're still kind of standing behind, you know, their message and you know the cause and I think those are true allies for me Mm. as much as there's still so much work to be done so we don't want to call anyone champion just yet but definitely there are leaders in this space and they're one of them interesting do you kind of look at the situation that we're in now as black women and think god well this is where women were and now there's all these opportunities are you excited for the future I'm like these women are coming and they're freaking driven i think when you've been sort of held back for so long you've got fire in your belly and do you kind of look to the future with optimism and excitement i would say i would i think through this i found my voice i think i would have in the past not said anything and would have kind of just thought about it or perhaps discussed with friends but i had an awakening in myself i spoke to my boss about how i was feeling went to the sheer like focus i think i finally found my voice being able to speak about what i've been experiencing how hard life is so i do think that as you say we have a fire in our belly there's a new awakening for black women for black people you know to not be ashamed of what we've been kind of suffering in silence because it's all Uh we've been living it now it's out there now we can kind of call it what it is call it how we see it and let people know and you know 
people have those uncomfortable conversations, people can challenge, people can have that open discussion. What we wanted from the very beginning is not to have to hide behind anything, but to be seen for who we are yeah. and move forward in a way that it's not, you know, there isn't that bias. I mean, it's going to take a lot of work, but I now finally feel like I can speak up. I can say things. Yes, they're going to be like, oh, it's the black woman, but I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I'm not going to be scared of what they're going to associate with me speaking up because I'm entitled to live and to speak in the way that I see fit and not be held back. I also think as much as we're working it, it's also time for people that didn't at that point before everything happened with George Floyd, didn't really have any connection with this cause or Mm. felt disconnected. This is the time for you to check your privilege. Think about how you're being an ally. Think about how fortunate you are in certain situations. How have you supported somebody in the workplace? Have you spoken up? Have you noticed? I think it's a time for almost all of us. It's a time to empower every single one of us. For us as people of colour, it's a time for us to really showcase, you know, our talents. It's a time for us to really speak up. But then for anybody else that feels like, oh, my gosh, there has been a, an injustice because, you know, social attitudes are changing now. This is the time for you to also use your voice and do something and stand in solidarity and really be an ally. Thank you. You were bringing me on to my next question, which was <laughs> people who aren't hiring, but they get this cause and they're white and they want to make a difference. What can they do now? to keep this developing in the right way for me it's split into two i think there's people in terms of you know just kind of the general public you know what can you do is be more informed you know do the groundwork educate yourself there's so many people are like i just don't know enough it's not good enough to just say you don't know enough and all because it doesn't impact you go and find out learn read books speak to people see you know what some of the constraints are you know find out what you can do Um, within your business. I know somebody that isn't black that challenged their HR and said, what are we doing? We haven't put a statement out. We haven't got any committees. They actually set up a committee um, themselves. And this is a white guy. And he wasn't doing it because he needed any brownie points because he really felt passionate about this issue. And this is the thing is you don't have to wait for your black colleague to take the lead. You can do it, you know? So that for me, is just what people can do, say, for example, in a workforce or in your community. There's also action within a business. You know, if you don't have a DNI agenda, make that a priority. You know, DNI at the moment, for me, it shouldn't be an optional thing. It should be business critical. It should be a part of your business strategy. It's important. There's enough business case to show, you know, the, the benefits of what making your workforce diverse looks like and what you will, the rewards that you will reap. I think that look at your senior leadership, look at your hiring process, look at your HR, you know, do the training, do the behind the scenes work before you even start thinking about, let's Uh just put out a statement. You know, like you said, people put in black boxes and we've not seen anything since or they've not done anything since. But it was just, oh, my God, I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be that company or brand that didn't put the black box. And now, you know, I'm being the whips coming out. I think there's so much legwork to be done but it really starts at educating yourself Um, and I think Emma you mentioned earlier within businesses speak to your employees it's just as simple as that exactly what you did um, Georgie with the focus group you can do that within you know the workspace a listening group put that together find out what people are talking about and if you don't have the right people within your business hire people. This is not me plugging, but hire a consultant. They will come in. They're specialists. They know exactly how to approach 
these issues. So Hi, Anna. She's very modest. <laughs> Can we touch, before we finish, on educating children? Anna, you're a mum. Yeah. I'm a mum. I mean, part of me is like, my children don't see race. I've got three step-nephews who are black. My children have never, ever, ever, ever said, like, they don't see it. Like, it's just not something they see. So I've I've sort of thought, you know, I think when I grew up in a very, very white lifestyle, I'm not going to lie, I'm 40, have I mentioned this year? <laughs> a long time ago, you know, like, like, it was a very different world. And the world my children are growing up in are different and they don't see skin colour. So I've never thought that I need to talk about it. But what do I need to do? Because we're now being told all the time we need to talk to our children about race. What's your advice? I mean, just speaking as a mum as well, I've got two young kids. I think it's a difficult conversation whether you're black or white. That's a first and foremost. You know, for a black person, you have to have that difficult conversation with your children about what they're seeing in the media. A little bit like your kids, I wouldn't necessarily say she doesn't see colour, but she doesn't see the difference yet. She doesn't feel, you know, the difference of, I'm being treated like that or I'm being treated like this. But she knows that she's a darker skinned girl. She knows that her hair is different. You know, she also knows that she has to wear her hair in protective styles. She's already aware of that. And that's because with black kids, they face the challenges way before a white child will have to face any challenges or even notice a difference between themselves and a black child. But I agree, you have to have these conversations early the same way I'm having the conversation with my daughter to say there are going to be challenges the reason George Floyd was killed you know the differences between us and white people or a white person is this or there is no difference in this way you know I'm having those conversations I'm buying those books to empower my daughter to feel proud in her skin to feel empowered to speak up but also to treat everyone like she wants to be treated I'm not just teaching her you know, that it's a struggle for a black person. I'm teaching her that equality is across the board. She also has, you know, a duty to kind of practice what she preaches. And I'm doing it in the most kind of subtle way because the only thing I don't want to do, I don't want to rob my daughter of that idealistic world. I don't want to make her feel like it's all going to be challenges. I want to make sure that there's an aspirational side of it that she you know works hard and she can be anything she could be the next black prime minister if she wants to be I still need to instill that in her I think for white a white parent is to have the conversations in the same way I'm having just to say that black people are facing challenges that you won't face you know identify that privilege you know the difference is it's not a negative thing it's a positive thing this is the difference that it brings into your world speaking to someone about their heritage you learn more about Africa the Caribbeans the food the music you know and just kind of making sure that they're already noticing what it looks like what discrimination looks like and what their part in it is one of my daughter's friends picked up you know a conversation that in the playground about someone saying to my daughter that her skin is too dark. And, you know, this little white girl said, no, her skin isn't too dark. What are you talking about? Her skin is beautiful. And my daughter came back and said to me, and she was like, so-and-so said that my skin is beautiful, where her voice was somewhat silenced and she couldn't speak up. That little girl stood up for my daughter. And I feel like that's because, seriously, it's because her mum probably had those conversations with her from an early age and she exposed her kids to playing with black kids she exposed her kids 
to coming over to our house, eating our food. And, you know, there's so much that could be done. But I think you have to have those conversations. I think it's as important as sex ed. I think it really is. I think you have to have those conversations because you don't want those negative stereotypes to turn into anything, you know, detrimental in young children. I didn't have kids, but I think, you know, children are children, just exposing them to different content. So, for example... Beyonce's Black is King. That's a good way for kids to just watch something. They're like, oh, colours, fascinating. Just normalising or choosing books with them uh, based on an African story or um, watching Doc McStuffins or just little things where, or The Princess and the Frog, just choosing content that's diverse. That just to normalise the fact that different ethnicities have different stories and it's not weird, it's not abnormal, it's just, oh, I'm hearing a story about a lady from South Africa today. Okay, I'm hearing Milan, I'm hearing Pocahontas. I think Disney... They got it right initially. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that were flawed, but just having those different stories and those different princesses that you can look up to and just choosing content that's varied and diverse is a great way to start with young kids. And as they get older, um, Mallory Blackman's um, Noughts and Crosses, just choosing different content and books and stories and exposing kids to different lifestyles, I think is a great going on different holiday destinations. So you want a beach? Okay, instead of going to Malta, we're going to go to Zanzibar. We're going to go to Kenya. There's great beaches there. Going to Seychelles, just experiencing the world and choosing different cultures or okay cool we're going to try some nigerian food this week um, rather than having an indian just normalizing the fact that people come from different places and we can borrow from each other's heritage and culture and enjoy it and it's not a bad thing that's what i say personally when i eventually have children that's what i'll be doing great advice ladies we have talked and talked and talked and talked i feel like we could go on for hours it was exactly the same in the focus tree we got to one point i thought we're never gonna be at home if we stay here can i say just what a pleasure and you know it's thanks to you that i feel so excited about not just the next steps for shit as a business but just for business in general you're a massive credit to black women and i've so enjoyed meeting you and getting to know you a bit i know we're all getting together again in october and i hope people listening that everyone takes something away from this and i'm really grateful i think it's such an important conversation to have and not to be swept under the carpet and there's still so much work to be done but i feel like we're on the way and the future's bright the future's bright for women for black women and for the next generation anyway thank you so much for joining me this afternoon lovely to chat to you emma juliet thank you anna Thank you so much for listening. And that's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends to listen to. This one's important and we will be back soon. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.